You're listening to Talking Pictures. And welcome to Talking Pictures, your essential guide to the movies with me, Frida Cooper. And this week's new releases are completely dominated by what could be easily one of the big films of the year. Star-Lord, Drax and Rocket Raccoon are all back and they're joined by Baby Groot. It is, of course, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Now, whatever you do, don't push this button. Because that will set off the bomb immediately and we'll all be dead. Now, repeat back what I just said. I'm Groot. Uh-huh. I'm Groot. That's right. I'm Groot. No! No, that's the button that will kill everyone. Which button is the button you're supposed to push? Point to it. No! Hey, you're making him nervous. Shut up and give me some tape. Does anybody have any tape out there? I want to put some tape over the death button. And Star-Lord himself, Chris Pratt, will be answering the questions in this week's big interview. On DVD, it's the heart-rending British movie, Starfish. Once upon a time, there was a starfish. A very brave starfish who loved to travel the world on the salty seas. But what about if the shark eats his arms? They just grow them back again. (laughs) Really? Really. Plus, there's the new top five at the British box office and the latest movie news headlines all in the next 20 minutes. So first up, it's this week's new releases, and I'm going to start with the biggie, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, released Friday Certificate 12A. And if, like me, you loved the first one, then the sequel just couldn't come soon enough. Now, I'll look at whether it's worth all the excitement in just a moment. First, though, it's this week's big interview with no less than Chris Pratt, Star-Lord himself. And he starts by talking about the success of the first movie. I think everybody was at least a little bit surprised with just the amount of success that the first movie had. I know that in making the movie, we all thought we were doing something special. And uh, it was a great script. And you just never know with, with projects that you're on. And this, especially being an untested title and something that wasn't one of Marvel's quote-unquote first-tier superhero stories, you know, we were surprised. It's hard now looking back on what Star-Lord has become through the collaboration of James and myself working on it and what it was to begin with. It's It's hard to imagine the differences, but for me, what appealed to me the most about this character was, uh, just an opportunity to to add my own personal brand of humor and into into a character. Uh, there's something that I knew I could do that was unique to me. And I thought I, I had been dying for an opportunity to do that. And it, I thought it was going to be something in the world of an action hero and with comedy. And, uh, you know, after seeing myself in Zero Dark Thirty, I was forced to reimagine what I was capable of as an actor because there was a certain physicality to that role that I had never had in any of my previous roles. And I, I saw that and I thought, you know, because you're constantly reevaluating how other people see you and by how you see yourself in your films. And I saw the Zero Dark Thirty and I thought, I want to do something that's comedy. I want to do something that's physical. And I want to do something where I could bring my own special brand of humor to that. And when I met James and we had an audition, or I had my audition with him, I, f- I felt like this was going to be a comfortable space to do that. So uh, that's, that's what, was, what was so exciting to me was that... I could just do me, do the best version of my best stuff, and that would 
be okay with him, which was pretty cool. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 picks up just a couple of months after the events of the first movie, so uh, it's very much a continuation of that story, and we find Peter Quill, a.k.a. Star-Lord, in that role he uh, adopts at the end of the movie, which is the guy who's going to take care of this band of misfits and be the quote-unquote leader of this uh, group of heroes. And so that's what we find him doing. Still having to deal with the with Rocket and the way he is and Drax and all of the characters the way that they are, he's taken a bit more of a leadership role and is just an uh, inkling more responsible at the beginning of this movie than he was at the beginning of the last movie. What I'm really hoping for is that they'll get exactly what they got in the first movie, but in a completely different way. I expect that people are going to get what they want, but they're not going to get what they expect. And what they want is to go have a profound life-changing experience at the movies. And they will, but it's not going to be what they expect. It's going to be different than they expect, just like the first movie was. It's going to knock their socks off. Well, I've still got my socks on, but only just. For me, the original was always going to be a hard act to follow. Not only was it just a hugely entertaining piece of cinema, it came out of left field. Nobody was expecting anything. Just like Pratt said, it wasn't exactly from Marvel's A-list. And that was part of the appeal. Now, of course, we know what to expect. I'll try and keep this spoiler free. As you heard in the interview, the action is set only a couple of months after the original and our favourite motley crew of unlikely superheroes are still travelling the cosmos. But what's preoccupying them now is keeping together as a newly formed family and discovering the truth about Star-Lord's parentage. That's where Kurt Russell comes in. The title labels the film as Volume 2. In other words, a separate story. And that's kind of what it is, rather than just another sequel. The director, James Gunn, has retained a lot of the favourite features from the original. The soundtrack, for one, although this time it's also mixed too, is perhaps not quite as good as the first one, but it's still pretty darn good all the same. And, of course, this time we have Baby Groot. Groot himself became wood chippings in the first one. He's still voiced by Vin Diesel. Bradley Cooper's Rocket Raccoon is still the only one who can understand him, and he is the most adorable thing I've seen on the screen since the Niffler. There is a slight change of tone this time around, though. Don't get me wrong, it still doesn't take itself in the slightest bit seriously, and the laughs come thick and fast. But this whole family business gives the film a bit more heart, and there's the occasional moment when you do feel just the slightest trace of a lump in your throat. What's also noticeable is the change in the special effects. They rather put me in mind of Doctor Strange, all those vibrant colours and that psychedelic look. The galaxy this time looks like one exploding rainbow, and it's fantastic. So while GOTG2 could never be the surprise that the original was, it happily lives up to it in other ways. Go on, treat yourself. You know you want to. To another epic now, but a romance set against turbulent times. The Promise. I have to go. Mikhail. I have to find them. Mikhail, leave these people alone. You're safe in the woods. No, no, I'm not safe. No one here is safe. Don't you see what's happening? We've lived through these Turkish threats before. Threats? They want us dead. I have to get us out of here before there's no time left. Trust me. It's all right. 
us out of here. Oscar Isaac making plans to get out of town in The Promise, released Friday, Certificate 12A, a film that comes with built-in controversy. It's a love triangle set in Turkey in the run-up to World War One, with Isaac and Christian Bale both in love with the same woman, played by Charlotte Le Bon. The backdrop isn't just the impending war, but the increasingly fractured situation between the Turks and the Armenian community, one that resulted in the deaths of tens of thousands of Armenians, an event that Turkey has never admitted took place. When the film was shown at Toronto last year, thousands of negative reviews appeared online, allegedly from Turkey, even though the audience gave it a standing ovation. And this week, the word is that it's going to be a huge flop at the box office. Well, you can make of that what you will, but I wouldn't take too much notice of all those bad reviews. This is a stirring, romantic epic. Not a great film, but a good, solid one. And even though it sounds a bit old-fashioned, it seriously resonates with current events. Terry George, who both directed and wrote the script, gives us something that's actually close to being an Armenian Dr. Zhivago. Oscar Isaac is a doctor. The love triangle is set against a backdrop of upheaval. For the Russian Revolution, read Armenian Genocide, but perhaps with a bit less snow. George has also said that he's been influenced by David Lean films and it shows, and not in a bad way. Isaac and Bale both make powerful leads, although sometimes Bale just can't resist giving the scenery the occasional nibble. And there are times when you do wish that Charlotte Le Bon would just make up her mind and choose one of the two men, but then we wouldn't have a film. The Promise then is no classic, but it's sweeping, it looks good and it's well acted. It sheds light on a little-known historical event, and given current events, it's also been made and released at exactly the right time. The final release this week is set inside a boxing ring, literally. This is the Pyramid Texts. Rocky Graziano, Thomas Rocco Barbella, the Raging Bull. Those used to ask me, who is your best fighter ever? tell you now his name was bomber i've got so much to say to you kid james cosmo the heart and soul of the pyramid texts released on digital platforms on friday certificate 12a and it's a film that's taken a couple of years to get here because it was originally seen at edinburgh in 2015 like ollie Mackie last week it's another boxing film that isn't really about boxing and it's filmed in black and white as well this time we have cosmo sat in the middle of a boxing ring delivering a monologue to a video camera it's about him an ex-boxer now a trainer about his personal history and about his relationship with his son who we occasionally see and for me to tell you more than that would be doing the film a huge disservice quite simply if you're not in bits by the end of the film you have no heart its emotional power is devastating and that is down to Cosmo who gives a performance of sheer naked emotion that leads up to a shattering climax. Behind it is a literary script, one that's full of references to classical literature, making it sound more like an epic poem from the Greeks than just a monologue. While releasing it on digital means the film could reach a limited audience, its setting and intimacy makes it perfectly suited to the small screen. And it is most certainly a movie that deserves to be seen. Cosmo does in particular. So see it for yourself 
and then spread the word. This is Talking Pictures. I can't kiss them goodnight. I can't hold their hands. Tom. What? You only see how this thing affects you. You won't see how it's hurting everybody else. You just suck all the air out of every room you're in. I'll never stop loving you, Tom. I'll never stop believing in you. On to this week's DVDs, and that was Joanne Froggart in Starfish, which is based on the true story of Nicola and Tom Ray. They had an idyllic marriage, one little girl and a baby on the way, and then it all fell apart when Tom contracted sepsis. The hospital has to perform drastic surgery that radically alters not just his appearance, but his ability to do the simplest of things. The physical effects are serious enough, but that's just the start of the challenges that he and his whole family have to face. And the film isn't afraid to present us with the truth of this terrifying disease, one that is contracted by 250,000 people every year and which kills 50,000. The prosthetics bring that reality home. There's Tom's stumps and the dramatic effect on his face so that he has to drink through a straw and dribbles almost constantly. And Tom Riley delivers a physically gruelling piece of acting, especially during the watershed moment at the end of the film. It's a dignified movie and he's a man who's lost his own personal dignity. He and Joanne Froggett are both excellent as the couple at the centre of the story, although it is left mainly to Froggett to represent the emotional burden placed on the entire family. She's no saint, but she is determined to get her family back to a place where they can enjoy a life that's close to the one that they had. It's a moving film, one that's compassionate and which manages to stay well away from sentiment. Instead, it opts for a calm and measured and truthful approach that makes those emotional heights even more heartrending. Tissues are compulsory. You're listening to Talking Pictures. No clip for the next DVD because it's in French and it's Xavier Dolan's It's Only the End of the World, with a terminally ill writer going to break the news to his family. He's asking for trouble, though, because he's not seen them for 12 years and they're very nearly strangers. They're also a pretty combustible lot, arguing and shouting, although you do wonder how much that has to do with his presence. Chances are they rub along okay when they're left to get on with things. But all those rows make for a very intense film, and Dolan beefs that up by constantly shooting his main characters in forensic close-ups. It gives you loads to chew over on the subject of family, but the one thing it really cries out for is a backstory. There's so many things that go unexplained that it starts to get quite frustrating. The final DVD for this week is all about an ecological disaster. It's Salt and Fire. I demand to be set free now. Now! Please drink. No, thank you. It may taste strange, even bitter, but it will help you adapt to the altitude. I do not care. The tea is brewed from cocoa leaves, that is it. I want my handcuffs removed. You have scratched one of my men and bitten another. I am proud of that. Well, that is why you are wearing handcuffs. Michael Shannon putting Victoria Ferris in her place in Salt and Fire, the latest from the director, Werner Herzog. She is in South America to investigate an ecological disaster. She thinks she's been kidnapped by terrorists and then discovers that her captors are actually from the company that caused it and they want her to experience it at first hand. 
Herzog's target is pretty obvious in this one. Big corporations whose pursuit of profit takes no account of the impact on the environment. But he approaches it in such an obtuse way that it's almost impossible to get involved, quite apart from the stilted dialogue, which means the performances are decidedly stiff. Yes, even Shannon looks awkward. It is full of incongruities, including a tablet with a never-ending battery and a parrot that quotes Nostradamus. It's laboured, it's confusing, and it is no way to get the message across. This is Talking Pictures. This is Talking Pictures. This is Talking Pictures. With Frida Cooper. So that's this week's lineup, one that is dominated by Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, which also happens to be my film of the week. Partly because it shares it with the pyramid texts. And if Guardians of the Galaxy 2 doesn't go soaring to the top of the box office charts next week, I will be Groot. As for this week, well, let's take a look at the new top five at the British box office. So there's just one new entry in the top five this week, although we do have a re-entry as well, and that is at number five. It's Smurfs, The Lost Village. God knows why. The real new entry comes in at four, and that is the wartime drama Their Finest. But the top three are exactly the same as last week. So at three, it's Beauty and the Beast, now officially the most successful movie musical ever at the British box office. At two, it's The Boss Baby. And for the second week running at the top, it's Fast and Furious 8. Thanks to your botched Berlin job, you all made Interpol's top ten most wanted list. Top ten? Mm-hmm. That's all right. Well, not you, Roman. What do you mean? You just missed the cut. You're number 11. I'm? I missed? Yeah. That's impossible. What number did they come in at? Six, eight, nine, ten. She's 10? Mm-hmm. That's impossible. There's no way she's a 10. Oh, she's definitely a 10. <laughs> Although somehow, you know, I can't really see it being number one next week. Not that Kurt Russell will mind. In this week's movie news headlines, we sadly said goodbye to the director, Jonathan Demme, who gave us films like Silence of the Lambs and Philadelphia. David Fincher took a couple of steps closer to signing on the dotted line to direct World War Z 2, and apparently Brad Pitt will be back as well. The whole thing's taken rather a while. And in case you haven't heard, it is official. Jeff Goldblum will be in Jurassic World 2. Just hope he brings his laugh with him as well. And that's all from this week's Talking Pictures. On next week's show, we enter the extraordinary world of the no less extraordinary Mindhorn. Kenny B. <laughs> this guy's one crazy hombre back in the day. Do you remember that hotel in Maidstone? Oh, who can, who, can, who can forget that? We did a tour of the Medway Basin. Thank you. And this fella... <laughs> Well, they'll have to repay for that hotel room. <laughs> I love what you're doing these days. Ken, I really admire your balls. Okay, the B-Man! And yes, that was Kenneth Branagh he was talking to. On DVD, Piers Brosnan stars in IT. And before then, you can catch my reviews and interviews on Flickering Myth, Filmoria, Flavor Mag and Britflix, which doesn't begin with an F. And you can stay up to date with Talking Pictures by liking the official Facebook page and following me on Twitter at Frida Talking Picks. I'll be back with another edition of Talking Pictures next week. Until then, enjoy the movies! Enjoy the movies!